I speak to you this morning in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's nice to be back here with you at Trinity this morning. Um, I was on vacation last week, and even though I was tempted to just read from Faulkner's Absalom, Absalom this morning, I prepared a sermon. Last week I was on vacation in South Carolina, and despite the the 80% and above humidity levels, it was a great trip. One thing that I had almost forgotten about living in Phoenix was the ocean. Its great frothy blue expanse contrasted with the billions of grains of sand underneath my feet, and it put me in mind of the fantastic creativity that belongs to God in my own finite place, in the very grand scheme of things. The ocean reminded me of who God is and what God does, and it was a little bit of an awakening. But brothers and sisters, it was really the food that caused a spiritual awakening on my trip. I know that we're all here prior to brunch plans, so I'll try not to regale you with the tales of cheesy grits with cracked pepper. Salads with heirloom tomatoes that still tasted of sunshine. Oysters smoked and enhanced by homemade hot sauce. Or even the perfection of something called the Carolina Nasty. A piece of fried chicken on a buttermilk biscuit smothered with sausage gravy. I won't do that to you. The fact is, is that some food is more than just food. Some food is more than just the lowest level on Maslow's hierarchy of needs that can put us on the road to being functional people. Some food is soul food. Soul food, whatever that may be for you, is sustenance whose creation and love and tender care you can taste. Soul food is that bone-deep type of nourishment. And soul food can heal you in places that you didn't even know hurt. Two of our most basic needs for survival are water and food. But the power to be transformed by these things is amazing, as much of the lack of these things can really damage us. If we become dehydrated, we become susceptible to fatigue, higher blood pressure and cholesterol, and the deterioration of our essential bodily functions. And whatever our food issue is, I'm guessing everybody here has at least one, whether it's the inability to resist peanut M&Ms or dismay at the fact that 15 million children in our country don't know where their next meal is, food is powerful. We understand that we cannot exist or thrive apart from water and food, and this is true of both our biological needs and our spiritual needs. Today, in Ephesians and in the Gospel of John, we hear about the inherent power of converting to a life that follows Jesus Christ. We hear about both the theology and the application of what it will mean if we choose Jesus, the living water and the bread of life. We hear about the sacraments and the sacramentality of water and bread, two simple elements that can reveal to us the richness of God's grace. First, the water. The letter to the Ephesians is written to a church suffering from an identity crisis. In this early church, converts to the Christian faith are coming from both Jewish and Gentile backgrounds, and this has become a source of major confusion. Established church members are throwing around all these additional stipulations 
to prove that you're a Christian, asking for additional signs of faith, the most extreme of which is circumcision. But in chapter 4, everybody's asked to pump the brakes. The ultimate sign of faith, Ephesians says, the signal of membership in the church and the body of Christ, is baptism. And baptism back then was for adults who spent a full year in preparation, discerning the call of God to become a part of the body of Christ. On the Easter morning when baptisms were held, as the sun was rising, the candidates would look to the darkened west and verbally reject the darkness. They would remove their clothes, clothes that were matted and dirty and probably very smelly, and put on a brand new robe. They would look to the dawn in the east and claim the light and life of Jesus for themselves. So the author implores the church in Ephesians, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. The letter goes on to speak of the unity of the body of Christ and that this discord that's happening in Ephesus is not the way that they learn to be in Christ. The author says, For surely you have heard about him and were taught in him, as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is a pretty concrete theology of baptism. Through the simple sign of water, more is revealed to you, and through it, you enter into a life in Christ where you are empowered by the Spirit. But what we hear today from Ephesians is the application of this grand theology. Like the sacrament that reveals grace, our lives and our behavior are meant to also be conduits for God's movement and transformation in the world. Take the thief. In God's kingdom, a thief doesn't just stop stealing. He or she becomes a person who, instead of taking from others, grows enough food by their own work, not just to provide for themselves, but to provide for those in need. Baptism invokes the same response of abundance and plenty, not because of what we were, or even who we are now. Baptism allows for the Holy Spirit to live in us, empower us, and work through us. We're able to put off falsehood, bitterness, and wrath because we have converted to a new life. It's not completely peaches and cream, but things are happening and changing and deepening. There is a world of hurt that piece by piece can be changed if we lean fully into the waters of our baptism and are willing to become a part of how the Spirit unfolds. So we have this water that's life-giving, the water of baptism. And then we have the food that is life-giving, the body of Christ, the bread of life. We pick up in the Gospel of John with Jesus illuminating the crowds who have witnessed his miraculous feeding of thousands of people 
from just five loaves and two fish. This gathering is full of people trying to understand Jesus in terms of Moses. There's the obvious parallel between the hungry Israelites being fed at Moses' request by manna from heaven and a bunch of hungry people being fed, ostensibly out of nothing, by Jesus on the mountaintop. Jesus repeats this Sunday, as he did last Sunday, that this situation is not the same because that bread perished. But his bread, the bread of life, does not. He doesn't have to ask God to provide this bread because he is God who is providing. Jesus is making the distinction, the clarification between being filled and being fulfilled. The people could have simply wandered off after that miracle meal on the mountain, but they followed Jesus. Their stomachs had been filled, but it awoke in them a different kind of hunger. They became attuned to the idea that this man, Jesus, was actively bringing into being a new reality. He was fulfilling a plan. Out of their feeling, the crowd leaned towards Christ's own fulfillment. They are converting in this moment to a new life in Christ. Water and bread through the sacraments become converted to convey a richer and deeper life. These elements become transformed beyond their appearance to meet needs both expressed and unexpressed. And the power of conversion through Jesus elevates water and bread to sacraments in the same way that food can become soul food. Baptism and Eucharist are the response to our soul's needs for new and eternal life in Christ. As one southern cook puts it, Food is always the sacrifice we put on the altar of love. Food, in the end, is our own tradition, is something holy. It's not about nutrients and calories. It's about sharing. It's about honesty. It's about identity. And our holy identity is shaped through Jesus Christ, the water and bread of life, by which we are fed, and through which the Holy Spirit lets us provide flavor and spice and love and comfort to the world. Therefore, let us be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Amen.